Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, where we showcase the leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of senior living. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, strategy consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. And I'm delighted today to welcome Kim Hoppe, um, a fr- someone I'll call a friend now, and um, to talk to us about all things um, acquisition, joint venture, partnership, really um, it's affiliation. All these things are such a hot button in today's industry and senior living. And so we're going to hear it firsthand from someone who's done um, a lot of great work in this space. And um, it's Kim Hoppy, and she is the Chief Financial Officer of Brio Living Services, which is formerly known as Porter Hills Retirement Communities. So um, you joined Brio in May of 2016, serving as the Vice President of Finance, and now serves as the Chief Financial Officer. You have a Bachelor in Business Administration and Accounting from Western Michigan University and is a CPA. Someone who's married to a CPA, I, I, I love all the work that you do. Kim has more than 25 years of experience with senior living and nonprofit auditing and consulting, Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement, team leadership and development, financial operations, project management, strategic planning and business development, all things that are so important to the strength and stability of our industry. Kim started her career at Plant Moran and spent 16 years serving senior care clients. You also worked for Walmart and Sam's Club in the areas of finance and accounting, and you've served on various boards, including Northwest Arkansas YMCA, Smiles for a Lifetime, and you're a founding member of Inforum. Um, You're also involved in presenting at various industry associations. I saw you most recently at the Ziegler Senior Living and Finance uh, Conference. Um, I saw you before that at Leading Age California, so you are uh, well-spoken in all things uh, finance, and um, I think some of the areas we're going to talk about as well today. And one of the other things I love about Kim is that she's multidimensional. In her spare time, she enjoys yoga and meditation and recently completed her 500-hour certification to be a yoga instructor. So maybe you can weave in your comments some things that keep us zen in the midst of negotiations and things like that. So welcome, Kim. Tell us about um, Brio, if you would, a little bit more. Great. Thank you for having me today. And I will definitely try to leave in some Zen elements on these very heavy topics that we have today. So just related to Brio, we are a large organization, uh, pretty all in Michigan. And we like to say that we're shore to shore. 
because we start in pretty much Grand Rapids, Holland area, and then we have entities all the way to Detroit and the east side of the state. And so we are about $150 million organization in total, which includes, um, depending on how you want to count them, 24 to 26 different business lines, including everything from independent living, very nice independent living, all the way through to skilled nursing, memory care, hospice, care management program, CCRC without walls. Um, we have a very large home and community-based uh, platform. So over more than half of our revenue is related to home and community-based. Brio has a love for PACE and home care and CCRC without walls, and we see that growing in the future. In total, we serve about 6,700 people um, in all of our services, and we have about 2,300 team members. So wow. lots going on at Brio. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. And I want to make sure I heard correctly, more than 50% of your revenue comes from home and community-based services? Yes. That's, yes. that's so exciting. About $150 million over half of that comes from home and community-based. And um, yeah, it's it's been amazing to watch that journey and to see those organizations um, really serve so many, so yeah. many communities. So I know you joined in 2016. Have has the that um, kind of filling out that home and community based space, the continuum and all the service lines. Has that really happened in the last seven, eight years, or is that has that been going on even before you joined? Been uh, more than that. I would say in the last ten to fifteen years is when we really start to fill out okay. that that platform. Uh, our PACE organizations, whether that be in the Grand Rapids market or on the east side of the state, really started, you know, around 10 to 15 years ago. Some are a little bit more mature than others. Um, yeah. Okay. So you, uh, so one of the things we want to talk about today is really, um, you know, the history that Brio has in expanding its mission-based services through partnerships, joint ventures, different things that you can explain. Um, how did that strategy arise at Brio? Um, and I know it was a really intentional strategy, but about how long ago and, you know, what kind of were the, what um, pre predecessed that discussion and what really happened? Yeah, yeah. I think we have to go back in time a little bit and refresh our memory here. In 2009, uh, we were Porter Hills on the west side of the state okay. and United Methodist Retirement Communities on the east side of the state. In 2009, March of 2019, those two organizations came together. Okay. And so it's really important to go back in time, even before that affiliation, and talk about the strategy that led to so many joint ventures. And many of our uh, joint ventures on the west side of the state really started from relationships. And believe it or not, relationships with our competitors. So in the Grand Rapids market, we have a lot of CCRCs. And we're very friendly competitors. 
The way we look at that, and I think I'm speaking for most of the CCRCs in the Grand Rapids market, is that we know that there's enough to go around, mm-hmm. right? We know that there are so many people that need services, that, and, and we can work together to bring those services to, to those individuals. And so really, a lot of our organizations that started as joint ventures on the west side of the state were collaborations with other competitors, with providers. So a good example of that is Emanuel Hospice, our hospice organization. Another good example is Tandem 365, which is a care management model. Uh, that we're really proud of in the Grand Rapids market. Both of those organizations were a collaboration of three, four, five different um, uh, CCRCs in the local areas. The other really um, ill and related to those, when you're partnering with so many, let's say we have 18% ownership or 20% ownership, you're able to invest. Poor Hills was able to invest in an organization that was relatively innovative, right? Tandem 365 mm-hmm. care management model. Pretty innovative for mm-hmm. its time. Yeah. I would say even now it's pretty innovative. And the reason we were able to invest is that risk was shared. Mm-hmm. It was shared with other entities. And I think that's a really important lesson when we're looking at joint ventures. Now there's a balance to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll discuss that balance as we go through the balance between being a majority owner and a minority owner and the control aspect of that. Mm-hmm. So the lens that I'm providing in this response is you can take on more risk right. the more partners you have, right? That is one piece of the coin. The other thing that we were looking at from just from a Porter Hill standpoint is not only diversification, but scale, right? So Um, We have six affordable housing entities on the west side of the state, and they all look exactly the same, and they all run very, very similar, and that is scale. Scale keeps your overhead lower. um, You know, we're able to provide services to more, and so really that strategy of growth around joint ventures had many kind of prongs to it, right? Scale, mm-hmm. we knew we had to have scale mm-hmm. and we knew we wanted innovation, right? So um, by the time we affiliated in 2019, Porter Hills had um, six affordable housing, which I mentioned, two PACE locations, a CCRC without walls, which we call avenues, a home care, a care management model, and a, we were a part of a hospice joint venture. So that was a lot going on. On the east side of the state, um, UMRC was very focused in PACE. So they were a part of two PACE organizations as a majority owner and one as a minority, minority owner. And then they had two affordable housing. So when we came together in 2019, we complemented each other very well. Mm-hmm. And so then that think about that strategy then as a brio, as two organizations coming together. We had pace and we had affordable housing, right? Mm-hmm. So continuing to look at scale in those areas, continue to see if there's options in those areas. The strategy was really based on financial sustainability on into the future, as well as growth. 
mm-hmm. both from an organic standpoint and from an affiliation joint venture standpoint. So I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. What a great, um, thank you for taking us back and explaining because that history, I mean, certainly Porter Hills had a history of um, working through these partnerships, joint ventures, and then uh, URMC and then came together and have done even more, which is um, just really impressive. I have to say, Have in, in all the works, the work that you've done around joint ventures, have those all been around existing services or have you ever um, partnered in any way to say, oh, we need this service here. Let's partner together and start this up. Yeah. When we say we, I'm going to, I'm going to focus the we on previous management, right? So the answer is yes, from a Porter Hills and United Methodist Retirement Communities standpoint. So kind of the core infrastructure of both entities in their in their history, right? Uh, Porter Hills going back 50 years, and United Methodist Retirement Communities going back 100 years was the core continuum: the the IL to assisted living to skilled nursing, mm-hmm. right? As we started to see the industry shift, right, whether it was the needs of the consumer or where our revenue was generated from, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm go back. I remember walking out of a training when I was with Plant Moran and Medicare rug rates were changing <laughs> and it was going to solve every financial problem that there was, right? And we did have a handful of years where Medicare rates were high, right? That is no longer right. re- most people's experience. Now, I know there's some in the industry that are still receiving, you know, um, a significant amount of revenue. Um, so the point I'm getting to is that when we started to see not only our payer mix shift, our revenues shift, payer or customer um, demands shift, we started looking at pace models, mm-hmm. tandem 365 case management models, those models that keep individuals outside of the emergency room, mm-hmm. right? That's what the Tandem 365 model does. PACE, right? The nursing eligible individuals that can remain in their home and get all of their needs met. Um, so yeah, we did really start from, we didn't just keep doing what we've always been doing. And that is, that's key. That is really key to strategy and to financial sustainability. Right. What got us here, right? It's what's the quote? What got us here will, will not get us to the next step. Yes. Yeah. You can't continue to look down. We have to continue to look up. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's going to be the key quote of this <laughs> of our session together, I'm pretty sure. Um, so so how do you prepare yourself um, each year, not you, but your organization? How do you prepare the organization? to have these discussions. So, you know, say you have a strategic plan and you're looking out for your goals of, you know, for next year, do you know, gosh, we really um, need to bolster our uh, service in this area, this geography or this service line, and let's go out and look for partners. I mean, what, and what I, what I'm really interested in also is how does, when you're having those conversations at the board level, do you go into a discussion with a potential partner 
knowing kind of what's acceptable. So what the guardrails are, or do you go in with an open mind and just kind of let the discussions go where they may? Yeah, those are some big questions. <laughs> Take them however <laughs> you like. <laughs> questions. So uh, I'm going to start with, if I can put my CFO hat on for just a minute mm -hmm. and just let me wear the CFO hat and then I'll take it off and, and go back to, to strategy. From a CFO lens and a financial sustainability, that has to be part of the annual planning, per se, mm -hmm. of the strategy, right? The organization is going to have a strategy. And what I see in a lot of organizations is they have a strategy although they might not have a financial strategy that also bumps up against that. And a financial strategy is larger than one year at a time performa. It's larger than your annual budget. And so a few years ago, shortly after we came together, uh, our board and our finance committee worked together to develop what we call financial guardrails. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's a financial strategy. And those guardrails, we have minimum. Where would we want to be from a financial ratio standpoint, the, the minimum? And where do we want to get to in the next three to five years? We're not saying we're going to get there in the next year, but where do we want to get to in the next three to five years from a liquidity standpoint, from a margin standpoint? And those financial guardrails, and there's there's not a lot of them, really. There's, you know, like five bullet points um, on a sheet that we can easily digest. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can easily take an opportunity or build more of a work plan for a future development using those financial guardrails. Mm -hmm. right? What opportunity, where does an opportunity take us mm -hmm. as it relates to those financial guardrails? And and it doesn't, it's not complicated. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm -hmm. okay. So um the other thing uh, that I would, uh, when I'm thinking about our strategy, building our strategy, and then building a plan, as you said, an, an annual plan. Our annual plan is based on a multi-year strategy, mm -hmm. and affiliations and joint ventures are absolutely part of that overall strategy. And for us, it is scaling what we know we're good at mm -hmm. at the moment, right? And we're pretty dang good at PACE. We're pretty dang good at affordable housing. Um, and it's also challenging ourselves on our existing lines of business as well, mm -hmm. right? Are we, just because they're in our book of business, right, are we being good stewards of all of our assets, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so we've had to make some very difficult decisions over the years on service lines that didn't meet that. So our annual plan has us not only looking at growth, but also continuing to evaluate our existing business lines and what's the future strategy for those. I love it. I love it. And when we, when I saw you in California, you co-presented with Sherry Pfeiffer from Escaton, and she talked about um, putting all of her programs on a annual basis through a life cycle lens and kind yeah. of seeing where is this service line or, you know, um, 
and what do we need to do if it's not where we want it to be? You know, is it time to divest? Is it time to uh, reinvigorate that? Um, or are we, you know, progressing up the growth curve the way we would like? And so um, kind of an interesting point, but I, I want to pull that out only because I think as senior living organizations in our industry as a whole, we need more providers to be looking through that lens every single year to say, what are we doing with this service? And especially when it's mission-based, it gets harder to make those decisions if they are hard decisions, if we can't reinvigorate something, but we need to do more evaluation on a regular basis. Yeah, just recently, I think it was at the Ziegler conference, I know I was having a few conversations around, uh, you might have a CCR campus, that has the full continuum. And you also need to break down that financial to really understand how's your IL doing? How's your assisted living doing? How's your still nursing? So you do have to, somebody's gonna laugh when they hear me say this, you do have to drop down into the details of the financial analysis of each business line because you might be assume and make an assumption that your skilled nursing is doing fine and really that's that's not the case or a payer mix is doing fine and really that's that's not the case and I would also say and so I love that the Sherry's process that mm -hmm. she takes and ours is somewhat similar to that um, and I do believe that that's when it gets into the really really hard stuff mm -hmm. that we have to do as senior care providers? And how do we balance financial sustainability, future growth, which we know is required, absolutely required in our industry, um, with, with that community feeling? Mm -hmm. right? and that's tricky. That is so tricky. And that is, I think that is where um, you know, the really strong players come in to, to mix, into the mix, right? How do those leaders continue to do really hard things mm -hmm. and keep our not-for-profit mission and our not-for-profit hearts? And it, it's doable. Right. It is doable. We can, we can, we can do really hard things. Yeah. I and keep all of that intact. We have to be really thoughtful. Yeah, really, really thoughtful and over communicate, over plan, over right, not just pull pull the triggers and you know hope for the best. Hope for <laughs> the best. No, no. There's a way we can make these changes as a not for profit and hold tight to that community family and hold tight to that, the missions. It can be done. Yeah, I love the framework that you provided though about the financial guardrails. And I think that that's really important to have some kind of lens through which or filter through which you start. You know, it's kind of your, I'm sure that's a starting point of, okay, is does this start to make sense here before we even have any other conversations? Are there any other um must-haves or guardrails that aren't truly financial in that yeah 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 so when I'm thinking about a new opportunity right and that's what we're talking about right mm -hmm. now right a, a new opportunity uh actually the financial guardrails is probably third or fourth on my list okay right? number one is strategy 
What is the organization's long-term and short-term strategy? And I do really believe that it is important to, to look that, at that in two ways, right? Long-term and short-term. I don't know any organization right now that has got everything nailed right, right now, right? We're all going through a lot, right. whether that's employment or inflation or you name it, right? And so I think from a board's perspective, you've got to look at the long-term, right? What's their long-term goal for the, the, that potential organization and the short-term? And then the, the next step after strategy is culture. Mm. And I feel like that this is an area that needs more time in our industry. Mm -hmm. I feel we go to this, I feel like we've got the strategy down pieces of the strategy when looking at organizations. And I'm talking about the industry as a whole when I say we, not mm -hmm. necessarily just and we, we as an industry have pieces of the financials, right? We understand that. The culture, I feel like as not-for-profits, we just feel like we've got culture nailed, right? So, and we like each other and we're all good people and, you know, we're in it for the mission. Blending cultures is no joke. Mm. And blending executive leadership teams is no joke. And so if I were to say invest dollars, where you need to invest dollars during an affiliation or a joint venture process, it's with culture. Hmm. It's really bringing in the experts. We all think we're experts in culture. Mm -hmm. right? As a CFO, I'm an expert in culture. We're not the experts. And I think blending those, because relationships will make or break mm -hmm. yeah. an affiliation or joint venture. And understanding the relationships and understanding what drives the organization from an internal culture standpoint and a board level culture. Okay. So um, those are kind of, and then, you know, once you have the strategy, short and long-term strategy and the culture piece, then you can look at then the financial strategy, mm -hmm. but the financial strategy really should be the result of one and two, right? right? If those work, then the financials, should pencil. Right. So as we get down into more of the details, though, I'm going to just look at my notes real quick. Uh, I talked about financial guardrails. Um, so thinking about the future success of an organization, and I'm thinking more about a joint venture, not necessarily an affiliation at this point. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Having not only financial guardrails around the whole entire organization, but of the new joint venture, really being clear on what those financial expectations are for the next three to five years, right? Where where does where does the the partners of that joint venture want that joint venture to be? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times that gets done. What I don't believe gets done as frequently is, is putting in a timeline with milestones mm. and without, and when a milestone isn't met, what happens? Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times we let that milestone pass and without, without any discussion. Yeah. Right. 
And so it's better to develop those milestones and the ramifications of not meeting those milestones. Develop that plan in the development process of the entity. Mm. Don't wait. Mm. Don't wait until you're 18 months, 24 months in and you got a problem and you don't know what you're going to do because at that point, you're not in the headspace to be creative. Mm -hmm. You're in the headspace of fear, right? Right. Fear then is making the decisions instead of that creative ability. So um, the other one, uh, you know, control, whether you're talking about a joint venture or an affiliation, the elements of control are always really tricky. Mm And I would say, one, have those discussions early and have those discussions often, early and often. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and honest, early, honest, often, all of those things. Um, and then the, the other piece is around control are the reserve powers that are built into the bylaws. And that we're getting into a lot of details when we start talking bylaws, Mm -hmm. but having a clear understanding of your actions as, as they relate to reserve powers and really partnering with whether that be your, your consultant or your attorney or whomever you can rely on. Um, Hopefully your attorney or your consultant has some affiliation experience and can bring ideas to the table um, because there's lots of options on how you can structure the reserve powers to allow each organization to kind of get what they want. Right. But without first tackling culture first, right, before you get to the reserve powers, you can have a breakdown in communication early on. For sure. And I love, I mean, everything that you've said is really about having forethought and not leaving um, decisions to happenstance later, right? Because we, you know, we know these situations can arise. And when you're going into a new service or a joint venture and, you know, and it appears cultures are aligned, everybody's going to have their rose colored glasses on and say, oh, that'll never happen. But you're kind of pre thinking yeah. what could happen and what are we going to do? Um, which, you know, to your point is a lot better to do when your heads are cool than when your hair's on fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love to say, um, I think I, I had a room giggling around this one, one time, but you know, um, not all marriages work. <laughs> yeah. And strategies will change. So especially if you're going into it as a minority owner mm-hmm. or if it's a 50-50, right? Um, 50-50s are tricky, by the way, because you can get gridlock. So if you're, in a, if you're thinking about a 50-50 relationship, you have to really, really think about the reserve par- powers in the bylaws so that you don't get to a point where you're gridlocked and nobody can change. And because what happens with gridlock, then if the partners are gridlocked, then the strategy of the organization can't move forward. Right. And that is, that's so disappointing. You're impacting so many. But um, uh, so 
I feel like I just lost my train of thought there. I was <laughs> talking about gridlock and 50% in the reserve powers. Um, I did just lose my train Well, thought. you were saying that marriages, you know, marriages oh, end. Marriages. <laughs> so, right. So um, have an exit plan. Yeah. Yeah. Have an exit plan when you enter. Right. Know how you're going to get out and know how that equity is going to get dispersed. Right. Have that prenup. Have that prenup. And I would say, as you know, it's it, you can think, you know, well, you're, you're being negative. No, you're being proactive. Yeah. And organizations want organizations to change strategies need to change organizations need to evolve right and so you have to assume that leadership is going to change over board members are going to change over they're going to new strategy and so make sure your documents reflect um your bylaws and all of that reflect how do you exit how do you change yeah. and the other piece that go ahead Oh, no, I was going to say an exit strategy, I think, is good for any business plan, whether it involves a joint venture or not. I mean, that's something, you know, as a strategist, everything I do has an exit strategy because you have to be thinking ahead for that. But go ahead. Yeah. Oh, the other piece I was going to say was just the return on investment. Mm, love it. Is the other piece. Uh, I, we've experienced this in Brio just in the last few years. We've had some joint ventures that have been around for years and years. We gave them money and said, okay, here's your money. You give it back when you want to give it back. And I think that was the philosophy, right? For many, many years, we were mission-oriented. We wanted to start new organizations. I think that we have to start to flip some of that mentality a little bit and really make sure that we're looking at these joint ventures, partnerships, as investments, mm -hmm. yeah, right? That those same dollars, whether it's a million, three million, six million, right? Those dollars could be in the investment market. Well, hopefully they weren't in the investment market in the last month, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, um, you know, you've got to think about how you're going to use the assets of the organization to further the organization. Right. That's the investment. And so, um, and we've been able to go back in time and basically amend some of the um, uh, agreements and whatnot and put in place some return on investments. And, and it's, you know, we're very blessed that we've had partners that are willing to come to the table and have those conversations and understand that. Sure, sure. And it makes them more accountable, too. I think the organizations that are now the joint venture, um, if they know that they have to return um, part of their profits to the organizations that sponsored them, I think that that makes them better stewards of, of the resources yeah. also. Absolutely. So I want to return to something, um, and I love the the marriage um, analogy. So maybe the workaround culture before you get married is could be like uh, premarital counseling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, how how does an organization do that? And is it you know is it necessary to bring in an outside expert if you're looking at a smaller program, smaller risk, smaller investment, or something that's just starting off the ground? I mean, do you still recommend that you bring in an expert to kind of help you evaluate the culture fit? 
Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you don't have to bring in um, an outside consultant. You know, they can, consultants can sometimes be pricey, right? Like, <laughs> no, no we're always a good value. <laughs> but no, I understand the, the potential. Um, you know, I've seen uh, in other organizations, uh, you know, different uh, surveys, personality assessment survey tools mm -hmm. from culture assessment tools. So they're definitely out there that you can use to kind of bump up and compare either, you know, this executive director's personality and how this executive director works compared to the new executive director or whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I do feel like to, um, I mean, you can, if you're really, really honest with yourself, I think you, you, you can sniff out, mm. right? You can sniff out if culture is not an exact fit. Mm -hmm. So make sure you talk about it, right? Make sure you don't just push it under the rug, right? Bring up those things that go, hmm, hmm. And it's, it's really, you know, how we all work, right? Culture is more about the how we do things than what we do. Mm -hmm. How we interact, how we return an email, sure. how we treat. Uh, so, and I do think spending time together as well, that probably spending a lot of time together, especially if it's a smaller organization and you're not, you know, ready to look at a consultant. Um, yeah. Mm. Although, and I do really believe that the, you know, marriage counseling, the executive um, coaching, the executive, um, you know, that lane mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Thanks for mm -hmm. um, explaining all of those opportunities to kind of pre-think the relationship and then, you know, go into it with structure and eyes wide open. So um, I appreciate everything that you've brought forward so far. It's really um, enlightening. Um, mm -hmm. so, so once, so you said that, um, in Brio situation, um, that you had kind of a strategic pillar that, you know, you were, I, you were keeping your eyes open for affiliation, joint venture opportunities, things that might bring forth growth that made sense to the organization. So once that strategy was in place, did you have a way to kind of prioritize how you went about? Um, you know, I mean, cause when you're, when you have an, your eyes open like that, there's lots of opportunities and how do you know which one to pursue at what time? Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the financial guardrails, mm -hmm. right? Um, we've talked about scale, scale being important. We've also talked about mission, mm -hmm. uh, mission being critical and, uh, I also think that, um, well, I know during the Porter Hills process, so the Porter Hills started the affiliation process mm -hmm. when Porter Hills and UMRC came together. And we knew, Porter Hills knew we wanted, we knew we wanted to affiliate. And so we hired a third party to help us. Mm -hmm. Uh, evaluate future partners. And part of that process with, with a third party 
with a very objective tool. Mm -hmm. Very, very objective, multi-question tool that we were able to, you know, we started with the universe of CCRCs. And then we had different um, kind of layers of tools that took it from a potential of 100 CCRCs down to 20, down to five, down to three. Once we got to the five or three, we had a very objective tool that our um, basically affiliation committee that was members that they were members of the board mm-hmm. individually completed this tool. And it was everything from what's important from a culture standpoint, what's important from a mission standpoint, what's important from a financial standpoint, a strategy standpoint, a, a, how we work together, all of those things. And I do believe, and that was, that was an independent tool mm-hmm. brought to us by a third party Our board members were able to tweak some of the criteria before we even met any of the organizations that we were evaluating, right? So we weren't adjusting the scale as we go, Mm -hmm. right? So we had a a foundation to start with. And that tool, that independent review and objective tool, I really feel like kept us honest throughout the way. yeah, I think That's that great. is, yeah. Great example. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, okay. And so when, so that was one example, but, um, and if you can still speak in generalities, um, but when you investigate an organization as a potential partner or you are identifying the universe of, a, a, did you do, do you generally do a formal RFP or are many of these relationships, as you mentioned, kind of starting out with, um, relationships that are already in place and they just kind of form into formal conversations. Yeah. I feel like we've done it every way possible. Okay. Honestly. And I think every way possible is, that's not a very good answer. I think it's a measurement of risk, mm-hmm. right? If you're evaluating an, an affiliation to, you know, or multiple organizations coming together, there's a lot of risk there. Right. A lot of risk. So you may want to add more formality yes. to that. Makes sense. Right. More formality from a, a, a RFP standpoint, a third party consultant, whatever that formality is, you may, the higher the risk, you want to add that formality. And I would have to say a lot of our joint ventures came uh, you know, through a coffee conversation, yeah. Yeah. Okay. through through an industry conversation. So, and I love they relationships are critical. Yeah, and you said something early on that I just want to pull out one more time, which is have coffee with your competitors, <laughs> have a friendly relationship with your competitors. You never know where those um, where those discussions are going to go. Yeah, yeah, relationships in this joint venture uh, affiliation process are, is just so key. Yeah. It's, it's so key. And while they are so key, I also believe that 
appropriate governance and appropriate due diligence. And I don't mean due diligence checking the boxes and looking at 990s. That's not the due diligence mm -hmm. meaning. Meaning having the appropriate involvement and objective analysis, right? Require third-party knowledge, require objectivity, right? So that the boards or the leadership team can step outside mm -hmm. of their norm, mm -hmm. outside of themselves. And I think we only get there when we build in tools, whether that is, you know, let's say you can't hire a consultant or whatever, and, and I'm not pushing consultants, but, you know, just trying to build up objectivity, you can build object objectivity by building your own set of parameters, what's really important to the organization and have those filled out independently throughout, you know, a joint venture process or whatnot. Yeah. So, so while I'm saying that the, the relationships are key, I think we all have to recognize that we have a fiduciary responsibility to take those relationships to the next level mm -hmm. of let's make sure that we're we're not just buddies hooking arms, right? We're adding the objectivity and the um, fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. To that. Really important. I um, was just at a governance training um, for board, from BoardSource, and one of the things that they talked about was uh, purpose-driven board leadership, which is a series of four um, principles, one of them being uh, really to consider the ecosystem in which you work and, you know, that your organization's purpose is, yes, your fiduciary responsibility that, you know, your organization is run well and sustainable, but then to your point, when you're t engaging in conversations about a joint venture partnership affiliation, you're talking about affecting uh, more people and potentially in a really positive way. So you're making a decision that benefits, you can make a decision that benefits your organization and benefits the greater good or the ecosystem. Yeah. And so I think that um, it might be foreign to some uh, boards, but uh, it sounds like... Um, you know, that we should definitely be thinking about that when we're talking about these types of arrangements and relationships. There's a, a um, when you said that it might be foreign to the board, it, it, some boards, it made me think that, um, and I know I said something similar in a Ziegler presentation about egos, right? When we're talking about joint ventures and affiliations, egos like to come into play, mm -hmm. right? Whether that be at the board level, at the executive level, and I'll, I'll, now I'm going to bring in my Zen to the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I had a yoga instructor tell tell the class one time that during yoga, you check your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. And that is always in the back of my mind when we're talking about strategy for our organization. And I'm very aware um, in boardrooms and whatnot um, when that is and when that isn't happening. Right. Right. Good point. And yeah. so this might be related to my next question. Um, as you've seen different uh, uh, affiliations and conversations happening around partnerships, joint ventures, 
what are some things that you know of that kind of stop the negotiations in their track or that, you know, rightly so, maybe just put a pause and say, maybe this isn't the right step, but what, what are some things that break up that conversation? Yeah. Um, I think uh, not being honest from the start, Okay. right? Really honest, whether that's honesty from a control standpoint, right? What is, what is the board, um, okay with from a control standpoint not okay with from a control standpoint so, you know back to the marriage analogy mm-hmm. right sometimes when you're dating everything is Rosie. it's fine mm-hmm. right you want everything to be fine during dating so you know you share the meal that you don't want to share or whatever right and i think if we compare that to an affiliation or a joint venture um Everything is not hunky-dory, right? We need to bring that stuff out early. Um, so from a control standpoint, from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. too, I think honesty from, from the get-go. Um, I'm just trying to think. and Let me make sure I look at my notes real quick. And culture. We mm-hmm. talked about culture. culture. Yeah. 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 Culture. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then my final question for you is, you know, if, Lots of senior living organizations, as we mentioned, are looking to expand their horizons into home and community base. They're looking at different ways to bolster their uh, revenue or build scale, um, you know, all the things that we talked about. So what would be your best advice if someone, if you're talking to an organization that hasn't yet partnered in some of the ways that we've talked about today, what would you advise them to do as kind of their starting point? Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this in a, in a lessons learned way. Okay. okay. So the lesson learned, uh, be clear on your defined culture and also be curious, right? Uh, we talked about being clear on the desired return on investment. Be really clear on timelines and communication. Over communicating is so important. Um, you know, I, I've said it quite a bit on this call, but require objectivity. Require it of your board. Um, and, uh, you know, rely on your experts. Mm-hmm. We don't have it all figured out. We really don't. And let's not assume we have it all figured out. So whether that's being on, relying on somebody from an objectivity standpoint, from a culture standpoint, It'll, it'll save you money later. Yes. It really will. Um, uh, let's see. And I think that address challenges early. The leadership, the ownership, address those. And while we have to continue to know our mission, know our culture, really really being open and curious and learning from your partners in the industry, right? Those that have gone through this or not gone through it, the world is changing, Mm -hmm. whether that is the employment market, inflation, um, Medicare, baby boomers, right? We can go down through the list that we all talk about. It is changing. It is not going back. It is not going back. And so 
I said at the beginning, do, doing what we've always done and expecting it to be fine. And it just, we have to, we have to become more curious. We have to become open-minded. And that may mean a little shift in culture. It may be a little, a little bit more risk taking. Mm -hmm. I would encourage quite a bit more risk taking. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's a, that's another that's another uh, podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. But I mean, the risk taking that you've done is in a measured way. Um, and with guardrails. And I think that's really the key message, right? And I agree with you. Our industry uh, needs to be more curious, needs to learn more, needs to move faster, needs to have the hard decisions, needs to be disciplined. Um, but we can do that all in a very um, comfortable way. It doesn't have to be, um, I mean, risk is always uncomfortable, but <laughs> I, th well, I think it's important from a not-for-profit standpoint and organizations that are mission oriented, right? Mm -hmm. That we do hard things with a soft heart. Mm -hmm. right? That's why we're in not for profits, right? Is that we want to be with organizations that are mission based and that do the right things. We can do the right things along with the hard things with a really soft heart, yeah. right? But we have to continue to challenge ourselves. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for all the wisdom that you shared with us today. I am, um, I'm just honored to have had this time together with you and to learn from you. Um, can you tell us, uh, tell our listeners, how can they get in touch with you? Um, you're on LinkedIn. I know that, but tell us how, how you'd like them to get in touch with you. Yeah, probably the best way is through LinkedIn. And if your listeners have any questions about what we've talked about, I'm happy to help any questions, talk about strategy, affiliations, whatever. It's a very exciting uh, time in our industry, and I'm really excited for our industry. I think we've got a lot of smart people doing a lot of amazing things. And, um, yeah, however I can help organizations. Uh, I, you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years. I love this industry, and uh, I want to help so many organizations be successful. So yeah, feel free to reach, reach out on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you. We'll include that information in the show notes. And you've been listening to Senior Living Visionaries. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, strategy consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. Here at Senior Living Visionaries, we aim to share with you the leaders who are shaping the future of our industry, the disruptors, the innovators, those who are, have gone before us and are willing to share their lessons, just as Kim has with us today. So I invite you to subscribe to the podcast on all of the major podcast platforms. You can also visit us at SeniorLivingVisionaries.com and sign up to be notified of new um, episodes as they become available. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries 
and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.